Chapter One of Historic Girlhoods, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Historic Girlhoods, Volume One, by Rupert S. Holland. Chapter One. Saint Catherine, the Girl of Siena. 1347 to 1380 the old italian city of siena lies upon three hills on one of which gleams the great white cathedral and on another perches the scarcely less commanding church of san domenico in the 14th century underwood and hanging gardens crept up the sides of these hills with only a narrow winding road to lead from one part of the city to another the valley lying between the two hills that were crowned with churches and known as the Valle Piata, and a little way up one slope stood the small stone-built house of a dyer named Giacomo Benincasa. On the opposite hillside lived his married daughter, Bonaventura, and Giacomo's wife often sent her two youngest children, Stephen and Catherine, through the valley on errands to their sister's house. Their message to Bonaventura safely delivered, the children were free to play in the valley, or pick flowers, or rest by the roadside, as long as they chose. One summer afternoon, Catherine, who was a small girl with dark hair and eyes, felt drowsy with the warm airs of the lowlands, and loitered behind her brother as they were returning from Bonaventura's. He went on, humming a tune of the goat herds she stopping under a tree for shade looked down a little path that led to a fountain called fontebranda where most of the people of siena got their water then she looked up across the hillsides of vineyards and hanging gardens to the cliff where the church of san domenico shone very white in the brilliant sunlight she looked and rubbed her eyes and looked again then her amazement vanished and she simply stood still wrapped in a kind of ecstasy which would not permit her to doubt what she saw nor turn her eyes away as she stood there entranced she saw a great throne set upon the very roof of the church of san domenico and on that throne sat the christ and about him were grouped the figures of many saints as she looked the figure on the throne stretched out his right hand and made the sign of the cross over her as she had seen the bishop do when he gave his people his blessing the eyes of the other saints were fixed upon her as though they had a special interest in her and in turn each of them made her the sign of blessing the vision held her spellbound and although people on foot and in wagon passed along the road near where she stood she did not turn nor pay any attention to them she seemed to have forgotten everything except the vision high up on the hill Stephen had gone on along the road thinking that his sister was following After a time he spoke to her but received no answer Then he turned around and to his surprise found she was not in sight He walked back until he caught sight of her standing beneath the tree Catherine he called she made no reply He could not understand why she stood so still gazing steadily up into the sky he went nearer and spoke again she did not answer 
so he took her hand and said tell me catherine what are you doing why do you stop here the girl moved and slowly turned her head as though she had just been waked from a sound sleep oh stephen if you had but seen what i saw you wouldn't have disturbed me so she said slowly again she looked up to the church of san domenico but now the vision was gone and there were only the white walls gleaming in the sunshine what is it catherine please tell me begged stephen nay i cannot tis a secret she answered in spite of his pleading and his curiosity she would not tell him shaking her head at all his questions she went up the road with him to their father's house supper caused stephen to forget his sister's strange actions but it had no such effect on the little girl herself she felt that she would never forget the miracle and as soon as she was alone she tried to remember exactly how the vision had looked to her she found that she could recall it and she loved to do so and to wonder what was its message in that age the church and wars occupied much of the people's minds and little catherine was already familiar with the stories of many of the saints and of the customs and manners of the church her father was a well-known and respected citizen of siena a prosperous man but in no way especially religious her mother had been too much occupied with caring for her large family to give much thought to the church so catherine decided that neither of them would understand her vision and determined to keep it a secret but she thought over it much of the time until she finally decided that it meant she was to lead a different sort of life from that of her brothers and sisters and playmates thereupon she began to wonder what it was best for her to do her first desire was to leave the bustling turbulent city of siena and seek out some place in the wilderness where she might be alone and live like the ancient hermits she planned how she would go and early one morning set out prudently carrying a loaf of bread in a bag under her arm she went down through the valla piata and passed her sister's house until she came to one of the city gates she had never been outside the walls of siena before and she hesitated as she stood there thinking of the wild and unprotected country that lay beyond but catherine was brave and she hesitated only a moment and then went through the gate and out into the country at that time there were bandits and robbers and troops of marauding soldiers all through the hills and valleys of italy and people rarely ventured beyond the city walls catherine however held to the road passing an occasional solitary house where some goat herd or farmer lived at last a brook tempted her to leave the highway and follow along its course and in time it brought her to a cave made by a shelving rock that came close down to the bank of the stream this seemed just the place for a hermit's home and she went into the cave and fell upon her knees to give thanks that she had been brought safely to this refuge again she fell into a trance as she had done on the day when she saw the vision she thought she heard voices which told her that though she was to lead a different life from her friends she must do her work among people and not alone in the wilderness and bade her go home before her father and mother should think she was lost 
when she had heard this counsel Catherine rose and went out of the cave she looked back along the path by which she had come it seemed a long way home to Siena and she felt tired and warm she sat down on the bank of the brook and ate some of the bread she had brought with her and then fell asleep when she woke she was rested and jumping up hurried back to the road so that she might reach the gate by sunset she came to the city walls in time to pass through the gate just before the guard closed it for the night and went straight to her father's house fortunately her parents had not been worried by her absence supposing she had been spending the day at her sister's giacomo benincasa and his wife lapa had had thirteen children and they did not suspect that their youngest daughter catherine was in any way different from her sisters they knew she was a very quiet girl rather shy fond of going to the great cathedral on top of the hill and of talking with any nuns or friars whom she met she was pretty with long brown hair that many people admired and they expected to marry her to the son of some one of their well-to-do friends the other girls had all been married early according to the italian custom of those times and catherine was barely twelve years old when her father and mother began to consider what favourable marriage they might make for her her mother urged her to give more attention to her dress to take more care in arranging her hair to wear some jewellery she had bought for her and to go about more with boys and girls of her own age but catherine did not want to do any of these things she became more shy than ever and when she met any of her father's young apprentices she turned and ran away as fast as she could the mother knew that catherine was devoted to her older sister bonaventura and begged her to try to persuade catherine to do as other girls did bonaventura talked to her little sister and finally catherine agreed to wear brighter and more becoming dresses and to rub certain oils into her hair to give it a peculiar light golden colour which was then considered more beautiful than the natural dark shade but it was only a few weeks before catherine decided that these changes were all vanity and went back to her old quiet dresses and simple way of wearing her long hair now the good dyer and his family realized that their little daughter was peculiar and they went to father thomas de la fonte a friar preacher who knew catherine well and begged him to talk to her father thomas spent an afternoon with her and to him the girl opened her heart and told of the vision she had seen and of her wish to become a sister of one of the religious orders of the church he saw that her mind was set upon this wish and did not try to dissuade her from it my dear daughter he said i believe you have chosen the better part and may our lord give you grace to follow it and now if you think well to follow my counsel i would advise you to cut off your hair which will prove to your parents that they must give up all hopes of your marriage and will also save you the time that must needs be spent upon its care and adornment catherine decided to take this advice at once and so that same evening she locked herself in her room and cut off all her hair in order to hide what she had done she covered her head with a coif which was sometimes worn by grown women but never by girls as young as she next morning at breakfast her mother saw the coif and stared at her why have you that on your head she asked in surprise catherine murmured some answer which her mother could not understand 
Madame Lapper stepped forward and seizing the white headdress pulled it off She saw that Catherine's beautiful hair was gone and she gave a cry of anger which brought the rest of the family into the room They were all indignant and her father and brothers spoke harshly to her Your will must be curbed said Giacomo You shall not do whatever you wish no matter how absurd it may be and so bring scorn upon all of us you must do as your sisters have done Catherine appealed to her brothers I have no wish to anger any of you she said I care nothing what you do with me nor would I be a charge to any of you I will live on bread and water and never ask anything better if only I may be let to live in peace without thought of other people Giacomo however would not yield to what he considered her caprices His wife and sons agreed that Catherine was both obstinate and foolish and must be taught to do as she was told Giacomo said I know what's the cause of this trouble You have too much time to spend on your knees in prayer and you go to your room and think of strange things when you should be with the others Hereafter you shan't have any room of your own and you shall do the housework to keep from dreaming all day long His order was carried out to show Catherine how little they thought of her fancies Madame Lapper dismissed the kitchen maid and Catherine was made to take her place and do all the household drudgery Each of the family took every possible opportunity to reproach her for her obstinacy and her father and mother talked to her by the hour at a time Seeking to bring her to what they considered a more sensible state of mind Catherine went about the housework faithfully during the day She would occasionally find a chance to rest for a time in her brother Stephen's room while he was away and at night She would sleep wherever she could find a bed Often she simply curled up in a chair in the living room Through all this hard treatment she was patient and uncomplaining until finally her sweetness and constancy began to amaze her parents and lead them to believe that perhaps she was different from other girls and must be allowed to follow her own path once they had reached this conclusion giacomo called the family together and told them that although he and his wife had hoped that catherine would marry as her sisters had they saw that she had set her heart on the life of a nun and that henceforth she was to do as she wished in that age hardship and privation were usually considered necessary to goodness Catherine was so intent on meriting the virtue which her visions had seemed to predict for her that she allowed herself no comforts More than that she made herself endure many hardships She took for her room a small cell under her father's house lighted by only one window Her bed was made of a few planks with a log of wood for a pillow here she felt herself to be as much alone as though she were a hermit in the woods and here she spent hours in meditation and in reciting long prayers she wore rough clothes and she gradually trained herself to do with very little sleep and almost no food she got to the point where she allowed herself only a half hour sleep at a time and could live on a little bread some raw herbs and a cup of water she had been very strong but this severe way of living told greatly on her health Her mother however was much disturbed at these hardships which Catherine insisted on imposing upon herself 
and tried to win her to a more healthful life. She begged her to give up her hardwood bed and sleep with her. Catherine did not want to vex her by refusing, and agreed to this, but as soon as her mother was asleep, she slipped out of bed and stole downstairs to her own chamber. She was back again before her mother woke. After a night or two of this, Madame Lapper discovered the ruse, and begged Catherine to stay in bed with her. Thereupon the girl arranged two pieces of wood under the sheet, so that she would have to lie on them, thinking she would discipline herself in this way. It was evident that she would have her own will, and so at last her mother gave in. Daughter, she said, I see well it boots not for me to strive with you any longer. It is but time wasted. Go your way, and rest at whatever times, and in what manner you will. Catherine was so determined to imitate the early saints of the church, who had in many cases seemed to win virtue by the pains they endured, that she now took to beating herself with rods and wearing a sharp-pointed chain underneath her dress. She did all these things in the hope that she might one day be considered worthy to join the order of sisters of the blessed Dominic. These new hardships were too much for her strength, and she became ill. Her good mother, more disturbed than ever, insisted on taking her daughter to the baths of Vignoni, which were famous for the healing effect of the sulphur in the water. On the very first day, Catherine placed herself under the spout where the sulphurous water came scalding hot into the bath, and standing there suffered silently greater pains from the hot water than she had been able to inflict upon herself at home. Madame Benincasa, upbraiding her daughter for what seemed to her the sheerest madness, brought her back to Siena, and there Catherine, worn out and only a shadow of her former strong self, took to her bed for a time. While she was still sick, she begged her parents to intercede with the sisters of penance, and learn if they would not admit her to their order as a novice. Giacomo and Lapa, now realizing that their extraordinary daughter would be happy in no other kind of life, went to the sisters with this request. They were told that it was contrary to all the customs of the sister to admit young girls. The parents pleaded, and finally some of the sisters agreed to go to Benincasa's house to see his daughter. They found Catherine very thin and pale, and listened to her story of how she had long before renounced all the pleasures and vanities of this world. She talked so earnestly that the sisters were convinced, and as a result agreed a little later that she should be admitted to their number. At this news Catherine wept for joy, and gave fervent thanks to St. Dominic, praying that she might soon be well enough to receive the holy mantle of the sisterhood. Her joy soon brought back her health, and shortly she was able to be out again and to take the vows required of one who entered the order, or the mantelate, as the sisters were called from the black mantle which they habitually wore. This was in 1364, when she was about 17 years old. After that, Catherine spent several years largely in solitude, although her passion for flowers led her to cultivate a little garden, and her desire to read the writings of the church caused her to study reading. She had never learned this at home, but now she asked one of the sisters to teach her the alphabet, and when she had learned that, she set to work to learn to read. After many weeks of hard study, she was finally able to say that she could read the various offices of the church. 
If Catherine Benincasa had continued her life as a sister of penance, she would have been simply one of the many women who had dedicated their lives to withdrawing from the world and following the course of their own thoughts. She would have left no record of her works behind her, nor would she have had much influence on her time. But as it happened, she became a great influence, one of the most remarkable women of her century in Europe, and the person of whom the old city of Siena was most proud. She was continually seeing visions of what she was to do, and she followed their commandments without hesitation. As a result, she accomplished many remarkable things, most of which would have seemed impossible to even the strongest woman. After a year or two in the convent, she was bidden to go back to her father's house and serve there. One of her brothers had given up the dyer's trade and gone to the wars. He had led a wild life and finally been severely wounded and left for dead on the field of battle. In some manner he reached home. Catherine took care of him, and by her skilful nursing and her hopefulness brought him back to health. Her married sisters now had large families of their own, and Catherine delighted to care for the little children. At the same time she went out continually to nurse any of the neighbours who were ill, or console them if they were in trouble, and so her reputation for self-sacrifice and charity spread through Siena, and people sent to her father's house, begging that Catherine pray for them. Word of her visions and of messages given her directly by the saints was at the same time passed from mouth to mouth, and the devout of the city came to stand outside the house in the hope of seeing something of these miracles themselves. In that superstitious age, the stories of cures Catherine had effected by her skill at nursing were readily magnified into miracles, and although she was very young, she was treated by all Siena with the greatest veneration. This was particularly fortunate for her family, for shortly after she had come home, a new civil war broke out, and two factions of the citizens waged relentlessly war upon each other. Catherine's brothers were all on the side of the Twelve, as the leaders of one party were called, and the fortunes of the strife went against them. Their enemies determined to rid the city of all the defeated families, and many were killed or wounded. A friend of the Benincasa family came in haste to their house. "'The whole band of your enemies is coming here to seize you,' he cried. "'Come with me at once, and I will take you to the church of St. Anthony by a secret way, where some of our friends have already taken refuge.' Catherine rose from her seat and said, "'There is no need of that.' She flung on her mantle and turned to her brothers. "'Now, come with me and fear nothing,' said she. They followed, and she led them straight through the main square of the city, which was held by their enemies. When these angry and excited men saw Catherine, they bowed to her reverently and moved aside so that she and her brothers might pass. She led them to the hospital of St. Mary and recommended them to the care of the master of the hospital and said to them, Stay concealed here for three days and then you can come home in safety. They did as she told them and when the three days had passed the city was quiet again. But all those of their party who had taken refuge in St. Anthony's had either been killed or thrown into prison, and Catherine's brothers were almost the only men of the party of the Twelve in Siena who came safely through the civil strife.
in may 1374 catherine went to the city of florence in company with some other sisters of penance and when she returned to siena it was to find her home town suffering from the double calamity of famine and pestilence evils which were only too common in those days never before had the plague raged so violently there panic seized the people and all the wealthy sought safety in flight leaving the poor in their distress with no one to help them family after family fell ill until it seemed as though the whole city were in the hospitals catherine worked day and night encouraging the other sisters to do likewise going into the most infected parts of the city and with never a thought for her own safety many of those who were saved owed their lives directly to catherine's ceaseless care and as soon as they were well they told how she had nursed them so the word spread that she had again performed miracles and that her touch was curing in itself at the same time she saw that the scanty store of provisions in siena was carefully used instead of squandered as was the custom and so word went far and wide that she had performed other miracles such as multiplying loaves of bread and doubling casks of wine the fame of this wonderful woman spread to pisa and florence and so through italy and already pilgrims came to see her and sufferers to beg her to lay her hands on them and cure them italy was at that time the prey of innumerable warring factions each city had its powerful families who were trying to make themselves lords and tyrants of their homes the catholic church had been divided by what was called the great schism and the pope no longer lived at rome but had established his residence at the city of avignon in provence the pope and the emperor were continually fighting for the control of the different cities of italy and the people would side first with one and then with the other catherine's name was now so well known that she was urged to help hold the cities to the church and with that object she traveled through tuscany trying to settle disputes and put an end to the many civil wars she also urged men to go upon a great crusade against the saracens which was being planned and she won over not only italian soldiers but foreigners as well to this cause she was invited to visit florence again to settle disputes there and obedient as ever to the call of what she considered her duty she rode to that city being met at the gates by all the principal men who showed her the greatest respect and besought her to make peace among the people she spent some time there visiting the sick talking with the warlike and healing bodies and minds by her sympathy and spirit of self-sacrifice all italian patriots wanted the pope to come back from avignon to rome and catherine believed that his return was necessary for the welfare of italy so when her work at florence was done she set out for avignon to see the pope gregory the eleventh she found avignon's a gay and wealthy city and the pope and cardinals well pleased with the great palace they had built upon a cliff high above the river rhone the city was safe from the wars which were devastating the rest of europe and especially italy and none of the papal court were anxious to give up their luxurious and comfortable life there for the turbulence and trials of rome among these pleasure-loving people arrived the simple black-clad catherine a somewhat strange figure in a city which boasted of its extravagance and pride 
She was too famous now for the courtiers to disregard her, but they spoke bitter words of her behind her back and tried to prevent her accomplishing her purpose. The Pope was anxious to see her, and she met him and told him how much he was needed in Italy. He, much impressed by her words, promised to give the matter due thought. She did not stay long, but in the short time she was there, she won over many of the vain court and convinced the people that what she wished was right. Gregory was more moved by her appeal than by any that had been made to him before, and a little while after she left, he took courage, outfaced the timid and slothful cardinals, and moved his seat back to the city by the Tiber. For the rest of Catherine's life, she was practically the patron saint of Italy. Wherever the plague raged, there she went and nursed the sick. Wherever there was strife, she appeared to try to calm the waters. She won her great reputation by the actual good works that she did, but people were so fond of ascribing miracles to her that she came to seem really more than human. After her death, she was officially proclaimed a saint by the Catholic Church, but before that, Italy had come to believe her such a being. In Siena today, Catherine's house is regarded as a sacred place, and all through that quaint medieval city there are relics and reminders of her. She is the greatest daughter of that city, and one of the greatest of Italy. We must remember that she lived in a superstitious age, and that events which we might explain in a natural way, the people of that age preferred to regard as miracles. We cannot understand the feeling which drove Catherine, even as a girl, to rejoice in sufferings that she inflicted on herself but we can appreciate the spirit of devotion to what she thought her duty, which led her into so many strange and difficult paths. It is a singular story, and one in which it is very hard to distinguish between what was actually true and what was legendary, but we do know that this girl whom history has called St. Catherine of Siena grew to be a heroic woman, an angel of mercy to the sick and suffering of her day, and an inspiration to nobler living in that bitter and warlike age. End of chapter 1